So this morning we're um, sharing communion together, and we'll be doing that shortly, but we're kind of doing that about a third of the way through the sermon, okay? Because the passage we're looking at this week is continuing, looking at our, um, you remember a couple of weeks ago I preached the introductory sermon and said we're going to be looking at the, the seven core values that are listed on our website as, as kind of things that identify who we are. And I said they're things that every church would claim to be. In one sense they're very generic, Bible-based, spirit-led, prayer-focused, serving community, serving one another. All these things, you think, well, yeah, that's a church. That doesn't make us stand out. But actually, these things are only generic if we let them be generic. And, and you remember me saying that if we're, if we're intentional about these things, then they do make us stand out. They make us stand out from pretty much any other organization or institution in the world. They make us stand out. And so as we work through this, we can, we can hopefully be reminded of, of, um, of how we can stand out. And we're going to be doing this in conjunction with looking at some passages from the book of Acts, because the book of Acts tells the story of the development of the early church. Now, again, going back, you'll, just as a quick recap, you'll remember that I, I went to great lengths to, to make it clear that we must not hold the early church up as, a, as an example of what we should aspire to be. That would be looking backwards and, and saying, oh, we're not as good as we used to be, we need to go back to the early church. But of course, the early church made plenty of mistakes that we can learn from. So we're not saying we need to, we need to go back and, and undo everything that's been done over the past couple of thousand years and get back to the early church. We're saying we need to sift through and take out the, the, the salient points, the key learning points that are relevant for us today. And so today, we're going to be looking at extracts, well, we're not going to be doing the whole lot, of Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4. Because Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 cover a, a fascinating event, a spontaneous event, an event that shows us some of the, the heart and the attitude and the mindset and the level of expectation that existed in the early church. We're going to look at the, the first chunk of chapter 3, and then we're going to pause, reflect on what we've read, and share communion together, just so you, just so you have an insight of what's, what's to come. So Acts chapter 3 begins with Peter and John, two men who had spent time in the presence of Jesus, two men who had listened to Jesus' teaching, they'd witnessed healings and miracles, they'd witnessed the power, the power that, that flowed through Jesus as he performed these things. They'd listened to the teaching and been struck by the wisdom. Jesus had made a, a, a huge impression on these two men. And so we told one day Peter and John... We're going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So in other words, Peter and John are just going through their daily routine. They haven't set out to do anything particularly special. They've still got the scenes of the crucifixion and the resurrected Christ and the ascension and everything that had gone before, all these things buzzing through their mind, trying to make sense of it, but they're still going through their daily routine in Jerusalem and at three o'clock in the afternoon, they're going up to the temple to pray. A man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. There was a tradition that said that almsgiving was part of this, this prayer time, so there would often be, be people begging on the way up to the temple gates, and people would, would put pennies, coins, um, into their receptacles, whatever they were, um, as, a, as part of the prayer ritual. But notice, this man was put there to beg. Now, being made to beg for something is not a nice position to be in. To beg is to be stripped of all dignity. It's to say, I'm, I'm entirely at your mercy. I'm just, I'm pleading. Please give me what I'm asking for. He was put there to beg. He sees Peter and John about to enter. He asks them for money, as he did pretty much everyone who walked past. Spare a coin, mate. Peter looks straight at him, as did John. So, I just want to pause there. They see an opportunity. 
How many times do we walk past people, not necessarily beggars, although that does happen, I'm sure. We walk past because we're in a rush, we're too busy, we've got somewhere to go, or we, we just don't want to engage in conversation. Someone calls out to us. Peter and John, just part of their daily routine, going up to the temple to pray, they hear this man call out to them, they stop and they look. They see an opportunity and, and everything else pauses, the rest of the world stops. They see an opportunity and they stop. They've been asked for money. Peter says, look at us. So the man gave them his attention. You see, the first thing they do is, you, you've asked me for money, well, no, 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 you, you've got something else. You can give me something, you can give me your attention. Suddenly this beggar has been told, you've got something to give. I want something from you. Suddenly that, that, that lack of dignity has been replaced. You've got something you can give me, actually. Give me your attention. When someone gives us their attention, it's something precious. In a world full of demands of, of our time and our attention, when someone listens, we need to take those opportunities. Now, to be fair, Scripture does say that the man was expecting to get something from them. Peter says, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give you. What I do have, I give you. Peter and John weren't wealthy men. They didn't have sacks of cash with them to say, here, there's a, there's a year's worth of rent. Go and get yourself somewhere, sort your life out, get the help you need. He says, I can't give you that, but I have got something really special to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. They then help him up. This is an instantaneous healing. Not every healing we read about is instantaneous, but this one certainly is. They help him up there and then on the spot. His legs strengthen, his ankles strengthen. He can, he can support himself. He's, he's standing up. We're told at the end of this passage that he was, he was over 40 years old. I mean, 40 is pretty young, really, isn't it? <clears throat> um, but for 40 years, he's been outside the temple gates. He's become a bit of a fixture of the community. People know him. People are used to seeing him. We're told in verse 8, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. So I just want to pause there, because we're going to share communion together. And as we share communion together, we... I want us to be thinking about a very specific, very specific event that has just happened. This man was healed. This is a miraculous healing. This is a man who has been lame for 40 years, sitting outside the temple gates, and in the name of Jesus, he's been told, get up, walk. And he does just that. Now, we can read these things and we can sort of almost gloss over them. We can say, yeah, it's a, it's a great Bible story. I like that one. But it's not just a story. This is, this is testament to what Jesus can do, what the power of Jesus can do. I love the fact that, that two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, last time I was here, um, Judith came up and shared about, about her father, Graham, and said, he's, we need his prayer, he's not in a good state. And she shared a bit more with me after the service, and, and, and he, he's been a very, very poorly man. And we were asked to pray. And we prayed on the spot for him. And then as we went away, hopefully we've, we've been praying. I know we've got some fantastic prayer warriors in this church, and I know that you would have been praying for him. And so I love the fact even more that today Judith comes up and says, hey, Dad's numbers have plummeted, and, and the situation is looking so much better. You see, God heals. We heard a, a testimony today of God's healing. The consultants, the specialists, they, they, they said this is, this is so out of the ordinary. This is so unusual. This is rare. Why? Because he was covered in prayer. Because Jesus still heals today, just as he healed back there in Acts chapter 3. We might not see an instantaneous, miraculous, one minute laying on the floor, next minute jumping for joy sort of healing. 
But healing takes place in the world around us. But what I love about this story is that Peter and John set us an example here. You see, when they were asked for money, they looked straight at this man. They say, look at us. Silver or gold, I I don't have. I don't have the material wealth that you're you're looking for to, to sustain you in the short term, but... I've got something so much more precious. I've got something so much, so much more special that will sustain you for so much longer. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. In Jewish tradition, when you, when you invoke something in the name of someone, it meant in the, in the character of someone, in the spirit of someone. If I just say in the name of Dave from Essex, get up and walk, nothing's going to happen. It means nothing. But Jesus of Nazareth, this was a name that meant something. People knew him. People knew what he'd represented. The name carried power that was recognized. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Then they take him by the hand, they help him up. We're going to share communion together. And what I've done is I've asked members of our our prayer team to be hovering around the different prayer stations around the church. And if there's anyone here today who would like prayers for healing, then please, please, please ask for prayer for healing. Because God heals. Don't necessarily be surprised if you don't have an instantaneous, miraculous healing, but we believe that can happen. We know that can happen. But at the very least, you go away from here today having called on the power of Jesus of Nazareth, the one whose power caused this man to get up and walk. So this communion time, we're going to be focusing on healing because we have a God who loves to heal, a God whose plan never was to have illness and and decay in the world. If you don't want to come and pray with one of the prayer team, then then just take the elements and, and go back and you either... Pray quietly if you'd prefer that or or ask a a friend or a neighbour to pray with you. But let's just spend some time in 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 an attitude of prayer, praying for God. Maybe you've got a friend or a neighbour or a sibling or a parent or a child or someone who, who isn't here today. Maybe you can just sit and pray and pray and pray for them. This man, he didn't ask for healing. He asked for money. Because he didn't believe, after 40 years of sitting outside the temple, that God could heal. But God did. We know that God can. We're going to pray that God will. First of all, I'm going to pray for us as we prepare ourselves to share communion together. Father God, we know that you have the power to heal even the most deep set of conditions, whatever it might be, physical, psychological, emotional. Father, there's no end to what you can do. So Lord, we call on your name this morning as we share this communion together. Father God, we remember that this is the gift that Jesus gave us by which we remember what he did to heal the world, to reconcile us to you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he willingly went to the cross, died a death so gruesome and so brutal that we can't imagine what he had to go through. But he did that as an act of healing. And so, Father, we thank you for him. We thank you for what he did. And we thank you that now, because of Jesus, each and every one of us can call on you repent of our sin, acknowledge our need for your authority and your power in our life. And we can ask you 
for healing. And so, Lord God, we do just that now. We recognize, Lord, that we are all fallen people. We recognize that, that we don't always live or speak or think or act in ways which honor you. Father, forgive us, we pray. Lord God, we pray for your blessing upon these elements, the bread and the wine. Father, we thank you for what they represent, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we pray for those who are watching online this morning. Wherever they are, Lord, whatever they're doing, Father, we thank you for them. We thank you that they too can share in this moment. So, Father, bless these elements and bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he'd given thanks for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. For all those who follow Jesus, we are called to share this together, to remember him and to celebrate his healing power. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, then please don't feel that you need to take part. We'd love you to. We'd love you to follow Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, then please come and speak to myself after the service. I'd love to have that conversation. But for followers of Jesus this morning, I invite you now to stand up from your seats. It's a messy communion, but that's okay. We're going to be praying together. We're going to be praying for healing. And we believe that we are invoking the power of the name of Jesus. So please don't stand on ceremony. Get up from your seats. There's stations at the front here, at the back. There's one upstairs as well. And please use this time to pray, to be prayed for, to share together, and to experience the power of the Holy Spirit as we do that. Amen. Please join me as we enter a time of prayer. Lord, we worship you as the sovereign king over our lives. You are the creator of all things, and you created us in your image. All we have comes from you, and we praise you for that. Let's take a moment to pray for those in leadership. You might want to pray for King Charles and the royal family for our government, your local MP. You might want to pray for someone else in leadership, your boss at work, a member of your own family, someone in your community, or you could pray for our own church leadership. Let's pray.
Lord, we ask that you bless these people that have come to mind. Give them humility as leaders and wisdom as they make decisions. Lord, you value honesty, integrity, kindness and a servant heart. We ask for these things to be prevalent in the lives of all those that we have prayed for this morning. There are a lot of things that can make our hearts ache, things that make us anxious or unsettled. It could be a habitual sin in our own lives, something we struggle with or makes us feel anxious or unsettled. It could be a relationship with a particular person or a situation which hasn't been resolved. It could be a global issue that saddens us, war, poverty, violence. So I invite you to take a moment to think about those things that make our hearts ache and give them over to God. Lord God, for these things that we've just thought of that make us unsettled, unnerved, maybe feel guilty, Lord, we lay them at your feet. We know that you heal, that you forgive, that you can work in ways that we dare and even hope. But Lord, help us to put our trust fully in you. And we ask for you to work in all these situations. Amen. We've just thought about what makes our hearts ache. Let's just take a moment to think about what makes our hearts sing. Maybe it's joyful music. It could be what we see in nature, good food, friends, family. Um, So let's just take a moment to say thank you to God for the things that give us joy and delight. Lord God, there are always blessings to be found. We know that true joy doesn't come from circumstances, but comes from knowing you. And God, we thank you that we can be grateful. We can see good things in life, in your creation, in the people around us and the experiences we can have. Lord, we thank you. We pray for a joy and lightness and fun in our lives um, that we can give you glory through it. In Jesus' name, amen. May I just suggest that if you've prayed with someone for healing during the time we've just spent together, that maybe in the next two or three days or maybe some point next week, you either give them a call or write to them or speak to them at church and say, how's it going? Because so often we can pray for something and then the prayer is answered, but we miss it because time's passed and other things have taken our attention and it's really good to be able to say, do you remember what we prayed about? How's it going? How's it going? What's God done? And my belief is that we will see God working. We will see reasons to celebrate the presence of our God in our lives. 
just like we have with Judith's testimony this morning about Graham. We believe that. Peter and John certainly believed that. That's why they were so direct in what they did that day when the lame beggar called out to them. But of course, they didn't want to be lauded as some sort of miracle-working wizards. They wanted to make sure that people were clear that, that Jesus was the one who had performed that miraculous healing, that he was the one who the glory should be given to. And so when people were astonished, they come running in to, to, to see Peter and John and to see this man who they recognize as the, the one who, who hasn't been able to walk for 40 years. He's been outside the temple gate. They come running in. And Peter takes an opportunity. Peter is bold. He's not ashamed. He's not, he doesn't hold back. He is bold. Fellow Israelites, he says. He identifies with them. We're called to be of the world. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. You see, we can identify with each and every person out there in the world in one way or another. The worst thing that we can do as a church or as individual Christians is to, to, to put distance between us, to look down or, or, or insist that there's some sort of a chasm. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you and me. Fellow Israelites, he identifies with them. Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Why are you surprised? Why are we surprised? We read, we read the stories of the miraculous healings. We read about Jesus' power. And yet, I don't know about you, but if I'm completely honest, I'm still pretty surprised when I see these miraculous answers to prayer. We shouldn't be. We should come and pray with expectation. We expect, we anticipate that God's going to do something. We shouldn't be surprised when he does. We might be surprised when he doesn't in a way that we'd like. We might be a bit, a bit miffed by that. But we need to be a bit more like Peter and John. Why does this surprise you? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of, God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Notice how Jesus is identified as God's servant there. He then takes a, a line which I wouldn't advise that we pursue. This is one of those bits where maybe we, we can sort of learn what not to do. He says to this, this crowd who have just come in, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. You see, not, I wouldn't say this is good modern-day evangelism, really. A bit too blunt, perhaps. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So they make it absolutely crystal clear. This healing is because of Jesus. Everything here, it comes through Jesus. They're not taking pride in, hey, look at that, must have, must have got the right words today because it's, it's, it's worked out the way I hoped it would. No, 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 they're saying Jesus has anointed this moment. Jesus. He then goes on. It's a wonder that the baying mob didn't suddenly turn on him. He says, I know you acted out of ignorance. <laughs> I know you weren't very quick on the uptake. as did your leaders. But then he takes the opportunity. He tells them what they have to do to change that. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn them. He's been pretty blunt in saying, you've rejected, you've disowned, you've, you've killed him. He's been very accusatory, but then he says, but that's not the end of the story. In verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Then he quotes from Deuteronomy. 
These words to a Jewish audience would have, been, would have been very relevant. They would have known exactly what Peter was doing. Peter is grounding what he's saying in Scripture. In the same way, we need to make sure, if we're a Bible-believing church, that we ground everything that we say and do in Scripture. When we, when we run events or when we, when we have um, different outreach activities, when we, when we have services here, we need to make sure that we ground them in Scripture. That everything that we do, we can say, this is why we're doing it. This is the purpose. We're serving God. There's loads and loads of organisations out there that will seek to, to feed the hungry and will seek to, um, to help people in need. And that's brilliant. That's fantastic. We are very blessed to live in a country that does that. But... The church is the only institution that will ground everything in Scripture and say we're doing this to serve God because we know that as much as it's great to give people the next meal and, 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 and some clothing and, and other material things to help them through the, the short term, in the long term, we've got salvation to offer. And that's a gift that you cannot put a price on. So eventually the priests and the captain of the temple guard come up behind Peter and John while they're speaking and they see that this crowd is growing. And so they're seized. Because it was evening, they're put in jail until the next day. But in chapter 4, verse 4, we're told, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Acts um, chapter 1 and we saw that gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem was a group of about 120. Yeah? And then on the day of Pentecost, about 3,000, they were baptized. Now we're up to 5,000. We can see the church growing, and it grows every time that the gospel message is preached, every time that the name of Jesus is called upon. More and more people come and follow and give their lives and believe. Why? Because they saw truth. They heard truth. They recognized truth. Now just think for a second. All this time... Peter and John have been dragged off to a cell. They've got no idea that 5,000 people are now following Jesus because of their words. They've got no idea. And I imagine that having been dragged off to a cell, bearing in mind that this wasn't a, a prearranged event, they were just walking up to the temple to pray and the lame beggar called out to them for some money and things kind of snowballed from there, they're, thinking, they're a bit shell-shocked. They're thinking, well, I didn't expect this today. I'm going to be going out for dinner tonight. I'm just going to look a bit rude when I don't turn up. I'm not going to be at work in the morning. I don't know. But you see, it was, it was unplanned. And they're sitting in this cell, not knowing what's going on outside. And the next morning, they get an audience with the high priest and most of his family. And they say, by what power or name did you do this? Peter says, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then he quotes Psalm 118, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. That is who Jesus is. And so... Again, there's this grounding in Scripture. In before the high priests, these, these men who, who knew the Scriptures inside out, they throw Scripture at them to demonstrate who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And I love that. If we're being called to account for an act of kindness, you see, the church does so much good. It's full of, it's full of people, and so inevitably... There are mistakes made. Sometimes greed or selfishness or some other kind of sin creeps in and there can be damage caused. Most weeks there are headlines about some church leader who's, who's made a mistake because church leaders come under attack regularly. But never lose sight of the fact that the church seeks to do good to bring good, to show kindness, to support those who, who need support in as many ways as they can. 
The church does so much good locally in this city, nationally, internationally. The church is somewhere that people still come today when they need help, often when they hit rock bottom, when there's nothing more the state will do for them, when there's nothing more their families will do for them, when friends have deserted them, when they can't get a job, when they're homeless and destitute and desperate. The church is the place where people know it won't give up on them. It won't turn them away. It won't say, sorry, mate, doors closed. We don't want your sort, because Jesus never did that. He never did that. When a high priest see the courage of Peter and John, the courage, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I used to work with a guy. Um, his name was Gary. And he'd often point to this passage. You see, he's a, he's a cracking bloke. I don't think there's any danger of him watching this sermon. Um, sometimes he can be a bit of a plonker, but then can't we all? But, academically, he left school as soon as he could. Didn't have an awful lot in the way of qualifications. And um, he was very good with his hands. He became a carpenter. Great, good. Um, he started building tree houses, and then one day he had a conversation with a, a minister, and um, conversations happened. I don't quite know how. Um, he ended up being invited about 20, 25 years ago to become a youth worker. And he took some very small steps and did a little bit of training and, and started as a youth worker. Anyway, fast forward to January of this year. Gary was ordained, having spent three years studying at Spurgeon's College. Now, I started working with him at Bitterke Baptist Church um, seven years ago, and he would always point to this passage because he felt it. He had that sense of working in an affluent, what, predominantly white middle-class town, where most people had a university education, a lot worked up in a city or worked for Ford, they were another big local employer. There was a lot of money washing around. And Gary felt it. That somehow he didn't quite fit the mould. But rather than allow that to eat him up, rather than feel a bit sorry for himself, he was one of the most positive, happy-go-lucky, pleasant-to-be-around people that I could meet. Because... He always came back to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. That was Gary, unschooled, ordinary. But they were astonished and they took note that these men had been in the presence of Jesus. Gary spent a lot of time in the presence of Jesus. He was always talking about scripture, about books he'd read, about sermons he'd heard, about conferences he'd been to. He was always so excited about the next session he was going to be leading. Why? Because he spent time in the presence of Jesus. Education, pff, I've got Jesus. Material possessions, wealth, pff, I've got Jesus. At his ordination, he opened up his Good News Bible that he'd had as a child, and he read out what he'd written in the front, it had a, a, one of these things, name and age and what favourite colour and stuff. And one of the things it said was, um, when I grow up, I would like to be... Dot, 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 dot. And Gary, Gary stood there and he said, I wrote, I'd like to be oppressed. You think, oppressed? What, what do you mean? Turned out, because he was unschooled, his spelling was atrocious. What he meant to write was, I'd like to be a priest. <laughs> Seven years old, he wrote that. He was baptised at the age of seven years old, and from that age onwards, despite the fact that he was unschooled and ordinary, he knew that God had placed a calling on his life. It took a long time. He's, he's, he's about 50 now, something like that. It took a long time, but now he's an ordained minister, and he's loving it, and he's changing lives. The presence of Jesus outstrips the presence of any degree any job title, any house, any car, any TV, any salary, any bonus, any pension pot. The presence of Jesus outstrips anything that we can throw at it. Because Jesus is Lord.
Peter and John, are eventually released. There are further threats, we're told, in verse 21, but eventually they're released because people were still praising God for what happened and the, the high priests are left in this situation where well, we can't punish them for something that people are praising God for. That's, it just doesn't make sense. They're in a really difficult, awkward situation. And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And what's the response? Is it, well, that's outrageous. They held you in a cell. Right, we need to get a lawyer. We can get compensation for this. No, no, of course it wasn't. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, they go on in prayer. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they say, Lord God, you've created the world and everything in it, but there are rulers conspiring to, to, to crush what Jesus has started. Lord, we pray for your protection. Consider the threats, but enable us to speak your word with boldness. Give us opportunities to perform signs and wonders. Let us see healings and miracles through the name of Jesus. You see, for us today, Jesus is still here. Jesus is alive. His Holy Spirit is in this place right now. He hears every word. He knows every thought. As we go out into the world, we can pray with expectation and anticipation, with a belief that we're going to see answers to prayer. Because Jesus is alive. Peter and John had that faith when they first set out to pray that day. They didn't know what was going to happen, but God did. They didn't know they were going to go past that, that lame beggar, but God did. They didn't know he was going to call out, but God did. God gave that opportunity, and they didn't miss it. They said, look at me. I haven't got silver or gold for you, but I've got something else. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. They had that faith, that belief, that expectation. And if we can adopt that in our prayer life, corporately as Norwich Central Baptist Church, but also individually, if we can have that expectation, that level of faith, then we will see signs and wonders and miracles and healings in the world around us. Not because of our strength, but because of God. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that as we go out into the world after we've spent time together this morning, that we will know that we go out there with a renewed boldness with a sense of expectation that we will see you working in us and around us and in others as well. Father, we will bring prayers to you that, that we, we are completely incapable of bringing to fruition ourselves, but we know that there is nothing that you cannot do. Father, we pray for those in our midst who need your healing hand. Father, we pray for the impossibly complex political situations that are taking place on the world stage. Lord, we give them to you and we pray with expectation that we will see headlines of positive steps. Lord, we lift up to you the individuals who are known only to us. And we give them to you, Lord. And we pray that we will see in their lives a breakthrough. 
Father, we thank you for Peter and for John and for what we can learn. We thank you for the, the way that they ground everything they do in Scripture. But Father, we thank you that they also ground it in absolute faith. And we pray that you will be our inspiration, that you will be our guide. Because you are our God. We praise you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Big chunk of scripture. Big chunk of God. Let's go out and pray big chunks of prayer. Before we close in worship this morning, at our communion services, we like to welcome in new members. And I am extremely pleased to say we've got three new members to, um, to welcome in this morning. So can I please um, invite uh, Marcus and Celia and Jen to, to come forward? We always love it when people come and partner with us in membership. It's a real privilege. And um, uh, we thank you for the way that you've already served the church. Um, some for a long time, some for um, relatively recently. But it's a, it's a real joy to have you. We're pleased to welcome you into membership of Norwich Central Baptist Church. Jen, there is a gift. And we welcome you into membership. Welcome you into Thank membership. You. God bless you. Thank you. Celia. Welcome to membership of NCBC. Thank you. We celebrate our members. We love our members. And we thank God for you. So now let's stand and sing our final song of worship this morning.
Father God, as we go out to face whatever the world has in store for us, Lord, we know that we go in your presence. May we reflect your goodness and your glory. May we do your work. And may every word that comes from our lips, every act that we perform, Lord, may we remember, not I, but through Christ in me. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stay and join us for tea and coffee. If you're new to the church, we've got a visitor information point over just on the left on the way out. We don't take up an offering, but if you'd like to put a gift into the collection boxes on your way out, then that would be very gratefully received. God bless and have a wonderful week.